I'm going to take a, a couple moments and uh, pray here. I know that we have just prayed, um, but I just feel like I need to be uh, a little vulnerable and transparent with you for a moment. Um, this has been one of the hardest messages I've ever had to write, and it's not because of the content. We're launching a series in Proverbs today. Um, but if I'm just completely honest, this has been one of the hardest weeks in, in my life. Um, those of you that are part of Lebanon Christian Church and have been here uh, for a while know that uh, Philip Davis was our former associate, and uh, he's been a dear friend of mine for the last 13 years, and so to try and walk alongside of them and uh, help in any way I could while they are grieving uh, the death of their precious uh, four-month-old daughter has just been uh, an emo emotional and spiritual journey that I could not have anticipated. And so um, I've wrestled, um, you know, with what to share with them. And I had that funeral on Friday, and I've wrestled with what to say today, even as I wrestle through those things. And so uh, just so you know, today is an, an offering um, to the Lord. Uh, it's my uh, very best through his power and I trust that as we launch this series in Proverbs, he has something very important to say. Uh, but I just feel like I needed to be uh, vulnerable and transparent. I just come as a pretty uh, broken uh, and grieving person this morning, and uh, I want you to know that. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the words that we just heard uh, from your word, that uh, death doesn't get the final say, uh, that we know that you have conquered uh, death um, through your death and, and your resurrection and God ultimately that's the simplicity of the great news the gospel that we hold is that um, apart from you uh, there is death uh, eternal separation from you um, but God with you um, you sent your son to come and to live and to die and to rise again and we find life in you and we find hope uh, even beyond the tragedies and the suffering of this world. Father, we do continue to pray um, for, for Philip and Sarah and their family. Uh, continue to pray for all who are close to them. We pray for others who are grieving that we know and that you would just work in only the way that you can in, in their lives and our lives. God, I trust that you have a word that you want to share with your people. God, as we turn to your wisdom in Proverbs over the next several weeks, teach us, help us to grow, to learn how to live well uh, with this life you've given us, not knowing how long it will last or when our last breath will be. Help us live well. And it's in your name we pray and trust the name of King Jesus. Amen. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus declares uh, these famous words. He says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have life in the full. Jesus comes that we might have life in the full, other versions say abundant life, overflowing life. Jesus says, I have come that you might experience life at its very best. And in the midst of, the, when, he, when he says these words, he's kind of sharing this longer metaphor about a shepherd and sheep. 
This is the same passage in John 10, 10, in John 10 where he'll tell us that he is the good shepherd uh, and that his sheep know his voice and that he knows them. He's teaching people and saying, listen, uh, you are like sheep and, and I am a shepherd who wants to guide you to the very best. I want to guide you to the very best pastures. I want to guide you to the streams of living water that, that, that David talks about. I want you to experience life in its fullness. I want you to live well. But understand that as you do that, there's someone who's opposed to that. There's someone who wants to rob from you and steal from you and kill you and destroy you. Jesus is saying, listen, as your good shepherd, I want to give you life, the very best life. But there's someone who wants to take life from you and kill you and hurt you. And I think about us and I think about our lives. Don't we all just want to live well? Don't, don't we want to experience the very best of life? I mean, how many of us hear a phrase from time to time, I'm living my best life or I want to live my best life? How many of us, when we're making decisions, we say, I just want to do what's best. I want to do what's best for my family. I want to do what's best for my financial future. I want to do what's best for the company. I want to do what's best for my career. I want to do what's best. We want to live well. I have never once had a conversation with anyone who says, you know what? I want to live my worst life. I want to do what's worst. I, I've never had that thought. I've never looked at the decisions I face in life, hundreds of decisions, thousands of decisions every day and said, you know what? Can I just make the worst decision possible? Have you ever asked that question? I want, can, how do I make the worst decision? No, we want to live well. We want to do what's best. So how do we learn to live well? And by the way, uh, I know some of you are disappointed. You were hoping for the plant image on the screen. Uh, we put out a couple different graphics packages for this series this week on Facebook and I'll let you guys kind of chime in. And I liked them both. Jason, our student minister, designed them both and he couldn't decide, I couldn't decide. So we let you guys decide and it was overwhelming that you liked the mini bus and kind of the vacation vibe uh, for our series. So um, how do we live well? How do we come to be people who live well? Well, first and foremost, it comes by knowing and trusting Jesus. Just going back to the words of John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life in the full. You cannot live life at its best. You cannot live your best life, his best life for you apart from Jesus. You just can't. He knows you, he loves you, he made you, he created you, he died for you, he rose again for you. He came to be the way, the truth, and the life. Like he is how you live well, and so if you don't have Jesus, you may experience a good life, you may experience a great life, but you will not experience the best life. And I share that hoping that if you want to know how to follow Jesus, you would let, you would let us know, you would reach out. We share with you every week. You can email us, connect at lebanonchristianchurch.org. You can scan the QR codes in our building that say, let's connect. You can talk to me or one of our leaders at the front of the room after church. Uh, you can fill out a connection card at one of our, our communion stations that you just went to. But we want to help you find Jesus because if you want to live well, you have to have Jesus. But beyond that, how do we live well once we have Jesus? How do we, how do we live well once we're trusting and following Jesus? Well, we, we need his wisdom. You and I face hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions a day. How do we know the right choice? Large, small, big decision, insignificant decision in your own eyes. How do we make the best choices and decisions? We, we need wisdom because every decision we make affects the quality and the experience of our life. And quite honestly, we know this as well. It affects how other people experience life. So to live well, we need wisdom. To live well, we need Jesus. 
Here's something you don't need to live well. You don't need a life with perfect circumstances. If we need a life with perfect circumstances, we would all be disqualified because every one of us faces difficulty. Every one of us faces challenges. I'm not pretending that those challenges are equal, uh, but every one of us faces difficulties and challenges and trials and suffering. And living well is possible even when life isn't what we hoped it would be. How do we live well? We're gonna be asking and answering that question throughout this series as we look at the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Um, the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Most of Proverbs is written by Solomon. There's a few other authors towards the end. Provide a wealth of wisdom for us as we navigate situations in life. And over the coming weeks, over the course of the summer, we're gonna look at a variety of things related to wisdom. We're gonna look at specific themes and topics like uh, parenting and relationships with other people, friendships, uh, how to find good counsel. We're gonna look at uh, drunkenness and alcohol. We're gonna look at purity. We're gonna look at hard work and diligence. All kinds of wisdom that God provides to help us live well. But today we're just going to start by understanding that foundation. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter one. Um, the way Proverbs is structured, if you don't know this, it's, it's structured with this lengthy introduction that spans chapters one through chapter nine. Uh, oftentimes, uh, scholars, researchers will call that the prologue. Uh, it's this lengthy introduction where Solomon is, is sharing with us about wisdom and he's sharing with us about foolishness. He's sharing with us about the kind of fight for our hearts. Will we follow wisdom or will we follow folly? He personifies both of those. He, he gives them kind of these human qualities. He talks about lady wisdom and what she's saying to us and what she's calling out to us as human beings. He talks about woman folly and how she's trying to seduce us and grab us away. And so he's just kind of setting up the, the, the benefits of wisdom and the dangers of folly. And then in chapter 10, he begins to break into these kind of um, pairing statements of this is what you should know about working hard or being lazy. And this is what happens if you're sober. This is what happens if you're drunk. This is what happens if you're angry. This is what happens if you're kind. He kind of pairs these things together over a number of themes over the next several chapters. Then he ends or, or Proverbs ends with some writings from other wise sages and wise teachers. So we're gonna start with this prologue. We're gonna actually start with the first seven verses, which sometimes are called the preamble. If you think about our own constitution, there's a preamble that gives us an overview of the themes and what you can expect and what follows. And Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, gives us an overview uh, to help us anticipate what's to come in the rest of the book. And in that preamble, we'll see who the author is. We'll learn a little bit about Solomon. We're gonna learn about the purpose in providing these proverbs, these wise sayings in the first place. We're gonna learn more about the intended audience and how we can identify with them. And then we're gonna learn most importantly about the foundation, what you have to have uh, to be able to live well and to live with wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, find Proverbs chapter one, if you're not there yet. Uh, we're gonna be in verses one through seven. I'm gonna read the whole seven verses and we'll come back and kind of dissect them a little bit. Solomon begins, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And he tells us what these Proverbs are for. The Proverbs are for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. The Proverbs are for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. 
the Proverbs, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. The Proverbs are there to let the wise listen and add to their learning and to let the discerning get guidance. The Proverbs are there for understanding more Proverbs and parables, for understanding the sayings and the riddles of the wise. And then he says in verse seven that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. How does this opening preamble help us understand how to live well? Let's start with verse one. Uh, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Uh, We learn that most of these Proverbs are gonna come from Solomon. The whole prologue is his. Uh, The next several chapters, I think up through chapter 22, are, are, are his. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Why is that statement important? If you read through Proverbs, you'll notice that unlike other biblical books, uh, there, there's not a lot of narrative. There, there's not record of historical actions of God and what God has said and what God has done. And so by Solomon saying that these are the words of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, he is connecting the wise sayings that are to follow with the overall history of Israel, what God has been doing and is doing. He's showing how what follows comes from God just as much as the parting of the Red Sea, just as much as the Ten Commandments, just as much as God's faithfulness, that these words are part of the overall story, the overall story that God is authoring among his people. These words matter. They're the words of God through him. God's the one that provided Solomon with this wisdom in the first place. It's connected to this overall story that God is authoring. In fact, if you want to see where Solomon got his wisdom from, we can go to 1 Kings. Uh, You may recall this story if you've been around church for a while. In in 1 Kings chapter 3, when Solomon takes the throne, God comes to Solomon in a vision. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. And he says, Solomon, if you would ask me for anything, I will give it to you. So essentially, it's that moment where you, you kind of get the genie in the bottle. Hey, 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 Solomon, why don't you just, just ask me for anything? You'll get whatever you want. Solomon doesn't ask for three more wishes. Solomon doesn't ask for wealth and, 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 uh, and, and, and women and, and all this other stuff. He simply asks for wisdom. Look what he says, chapter three, verse nine. He says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon is feeling the weight of needing to lead God's people as their king. And he simply says, God, I don't know how to do what you have called me to do. So here's what I'd like for you. Would you just give me wisdom? Will you give me a discerning heart so I can know how to lead? Did you hear his humility? God, I just need you to show me. I don't need more power. I don't need more influence. I don't need more money. Will you just show me how to live, and how to rule. And God honors that request. God tells him, I'm gonna give you far more than that uh, because you've asked me for wisdom. And I want you to see kind of the abundance of wisdom that God supplies in 1 Kings chapter four, beginning in verse 29. It says that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. If you're taking your minibus to the beach this summer or your car or taking a plane and Ubering, whatever it is, and you go to the beach and you start trying to count every grain of sand, you know how impossible that task is. And yet we learn that Solomon's wisdom is greater 
and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East. Every Christmas, we look at the account of Jesus coming and being born in Bethlehem, and we look at those who came to celebrate his birth months later, and they are men who came from the East, and what do we call them? Wise men, right? It was an understanding in, cult, in their culture that, that there was a lot of wisdom in the East, and, and yet we learn that Solomon's wisdom is even greater than the wisdom of the people of the East. His wisdom is even greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. You might recall that when Stephen talks about uh, Moses uh, in the book of Acts, when we studied that, that he was counseled on all the wisdom of the Egyptians, Moses was, meaning that he had all this great knowledge, um, warfare strategy, agriculture, all these things on how to navigate life as a leader in a society, and yet Solomon had more wisdom than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else including Ethan the Ezraite. Poor Ethan, he probably thought he was the best, and then Solomon comes on the scene. Wiser than Haman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He spoke about animals, about birds, about reptiles, about fish, from all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. That shows you just how wise Solomon was, the wisdom that God provided to him. That's who's writing this. That's the author. He wants God's people to see that what it takes for them to live well. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And why does Solomon record these words? He, he wants us to have that wisdom. He wants the people of Israel to have that wisdom. He outlines the purpose in the next several verses. He says that the Proverbs are for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight. Now, those three words will show up a lot in the book of Proverbs, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Two of those words will be closely related and used almost interchangeably in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom and understanding. Sometimes it's translated knowledge. Some say, well, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, in Proverbs, it's, 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 it's very small. Wisdom has more to do with the skillful application of understanding and knowledge. And, and understanding or knowledge is that learning that you possess from studying the world and looking at how things work. But the two go together. It's wisdom and knowledge. Uh, to give you another picture for that word wisdom, the same word is used in Exodus chapter 35 when we hear the stories of two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, who were a part of building the tabernacle. It says that God gave them all kinds of skill to accomplish the plans that he had given them for building the tabernacle. He gave them wisdom. He gave them the ability to craft and to do things. And that's ultimately what wisdom is for us. It's the ability to take and to look at our life and craft a beautiful life, a life lived well from the understanding that we get from God and how things work. And so the purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people how to live wisely, how to have understanding. There's another word there, it's, it's instruction. And that word is sometimes translated in Proverbs as discipline. Solomon gives these words to help people see how to live, understanding that it's gonna require discipline on our part to follow those instructions. 
There's going to be a choice that we face as we learn about hard work versus laziness, as we learn about purity versus sensuality, as we learn about drunkenness versus sobriety, as we learn about how to parent and how to respond to parents, as we we learn how to be a husband and a wife, as we learn about friendship and godly counsel, and the list goes on and on. As we learn about those things, we're going to have to be disciplined to say, okay, am I going to follow his way or am I going to follow my way? Am I going to live well or am I going to reject the wisdom that God provides and experience life and its mess in a whole different and more devastating way. The purpose of these statements is to bring wisdom and instruction and understanding. It's, it's to bring instruction for prudent behavior. Verse 3, it's to help us to do what is right, just, and fair. If you look at this verse in the um, ESV, the English Standard Version, it says, instead of fair, it says equity. And that stuck out to me. Because if you listen to our culture, you listen to our society today, Aren't people clamoring for people to do what's right and just and fair or what is equitable? We have positions and companies that are about inclusion and equity. Like we're saying, how do we treat people well? How do we treat people with equality? How do we treat people with fairness? How do we treat people rightly? And so many times we're looking to ourselves and what we feel. We're worried more about other people's feelings when it comes to what is right and just and fair. And what I love when it comes to Proverbs, it says the the heart of righteousness and justice and fairness isn't found in our own wisdom, but it's found in God. He's the one who gets to determine what is right and just and fair. You want to be treated with equity? Then let the creator of the universe who made you, informed you, and fashioned you in his image show you how to treat people and how to treat yourself with fairness and, 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 and equity. And so in this book, we will have the ability to see what does it look like to treat people rightly and justly and fairly with righteousness and justice and equity. The purpose of these Proverbs is to guide us to live well, to live with wisdom and instruction and understanding and to live in a way that leads to treating people rightly and justly and fairly. Verse four, the purpose of these Proverbs is to give prudence, to give this disciplined uh, life to those who are simple. It's to bring knowledge and discretion or discernment, your Bible might say, to the young. This is where we begin to merge from purpose to audience. Part of the purpose in writing Proverbs and and Solomon sharing this is that he wants those who don't yet understand things to have the wisdom that they need. The word simple here is a word that can also be translated open. It has to do with being inexperienced. He's writing and saying that there are people who are are encountering situations and uh, being placed in positions where they have to make decisions uh, and choices and they don't know what to do. They're open to anything. And what we know is is that if we have a bunch of options and we don't know which is best, we might choose foolishly sometimes. But but Solomon says, hey, I I want you to receive this wisdom if you're simple, so you know the right way to go. He he says in particular that this is to bring knowledge and discretion or discernment to the young. Solomon wants those who are younger, those who are inexperienced, to, to have an advantage that maybe he even didn't have until he had the wisdom of God. The words of Proverbs are not insulting to youth, but they're there to help youth. And probably the primary audience would be kind of, um, if you related it to in our society, would be probably high school through college and young adult years. You face a lot of decisions and a lot of situations you've never faced before. And will we look to God to help us know how to live well and how to choose rightly when we face those things? 
And so what I want you to see, and this is really encouraging to me, if you're a part of Gen Z, if you're a millennial, then ultimately the words of Proverbs were written for you. It's not they're not written for the rest of us. It's not the rest of us can't learn. We better learn. Um, but we still make a lot of mistakes. So why don't we learn from his wisdom to help you uh, be guided in wisdom and instruction and knowledge. But it's not just for the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. If you are already living well or on your, the pathway to live well, uh, then understand that you can still grow and learn and, and even have more guidance. So will you add to your wisdom, more wisdom from God? Wisdom that might help you understand even more proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. See, the hope of, of Solomon is that you will see that, that this is connected to his overall story, that you are a part of God's overall story. And he wants us to have these wise sayings that we can live well. Whether you are young or you are old, could we, could we learn from him? You know, kind of the motto in American society is to live and learn. Um, that works sometimes, it can be pretty messy. But, but what if we were people who learned and then lived? Will we live well? Will we grow in our wisdom and understanding of this world? That's what the book of Proverbs is aiming to help us to do. But you and I will never get there unless we build on the right foundation. And that brings me to verse seven. Solomon bookends the entire introduction, chapters one through chapters nine, with this sentiment. In chapter one, verse seven, this is how he words it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In, in, in chapter nine of Proverbs, he will say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He uses knowledge and wisdom interchangeably. David in Psalm 111 verse 10 will write that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We will not learn to live well and experience God's best life for us unless we build on the firm and solid foundation of a reverent awe and fear and respect of who God is. Uh, on a Thursday night, I was talking to an individual and they were sharing about the home that they had built and that they were now living in. And uh, we were standing outside of that home and uh, he was kind of sharing how you should have seen the home that was here before. It was falling down. It was dangerous. And, and we were asking questions. And he said, really, the home had to be torn down because the foundation wasn't solid. And he went on to describe how the property sloped towards the lake. And the original cabin home was built on that property without a recognition that just feet below the surface was some bedrock. But that bedrock also sloped towards the lake. And as it got closer to the lake, the bedrock got deeper and deeper below the surface. And so when the first home was built, it was built on the ground, but it wasn't anchored into the bedrock. And so the home had to be torn down. The new home was built. And he was sharing with us how the uh, structural engineers came and they drove pylons. Of course, at the part where the bedrock is closer to the surface, the pylons didn't have to go as deep into the bedrock. But as you got closer to the lake with the house, they went sometimes 20 feet into the bedrock. Several pylons to give the home a firm foundation. Otherwise, the, the home wouldn't stay. It wouldn't stay the uh, you know, endure for the course of time. If you've ever had a home that has foundation issues, you know how devastating that can be to the structural integrity of your home. 
we can strive to live wise lives and we can learn from people who don't yet know Jesus. But you will not have a firm foundation for wisdom unless it is rooted in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Just think about that phrase, the fear of the Lord. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, it shows up all throughout Scripture. It shows up a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, The word fear does not have to do with a terror uh, that we get when we see a snake if we're afraid of snakes or that, 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 that fear you get when you're uh, preparing to fly or when you're in the plane and you hit turbulence and kind of this fear overtakes you or the fear of someone breaking into your home or the fear you feel when you, when you watch a horror movie. And why you watch horror movies, I do not understand. I don't like that feeling. But, um, but, but the fear that's talked about here is not that type of terror, The fear here is a reverence, an awe, a deep appreciation for the magnitude and the greatness of who God is. It's a fear of the Lord. And if you look in your Bibles, you'll see that Lord is spelled with a capital L and three other lowercase capital letters or or small caps, uh, L-O-R-D. And that's what our translators give us when they're translating from the Greek, a word that we say as Adonai. And Adonai is a substitute that they put in Scripture because they could not bring themselves to record the covenantal great and mighty name of God, which we call the Tetragrammaton, which is the Hebrew letters translated into English, Y-H-W-H. For Jews, it's an inutterable name. They will not even say it. It's the great name of God that represents all of his glory, all of his greatness, all of his might, and all of his majesty. It's the fear of the great and mighty and incredible God that serves as the foundation for wisdom. If you and I want to live well, if we want to benefit from the words that Solomon will share in the rest of Proverbs, it starts by us living with a healthy and holy and reverent fear of the God who made us and crafted us and formed us, who sustained and led his people through the wilderness, who brought them into the promised land, who stuck with them and extended to them grace and discipline even when they disobeyed him and then brought to them the Savior of the world, his son, Jesus Christ, who would die and rise again and give life not only to those who believe then, but to those who believe now. That's the incredible God. And if we fear him, it'll be the beginning, the starting point, the foundation for us to live wise and discerning lives. So as we embark on this journey, if you wanna live well, it starts by healthy and holy, reverent fear of our God. And if we'll start there, you'll be amazed at the transformation that takes place in your life over the coming weeks. But to fear the Lord and to become wise, it's gonna take humility. And if we're honest, humility is not a virtue that's prized in our culture. We like to be the rulers of our lives. We like to be our own gods. We like to be our authorities. And we have to be willing to say, you know what? I don't know what's best. Would we pray a vulnerable prayer like even Solomon prayed uh, to God when God said, I'll give you anything that you want? God, will you just give me discernment? Will you give me wisdom? Would we be willing to be people who humbly just say, God, will you, will you give me wisdom? I don't remember who taught me this. It was at some point in high school. Uh, someone said, hey, Craig, you know, one of the most powerful prayers that you could ever pray is simply to ask God for wisdom each day. 
And I started doing it. And I cannot tell you that I do that every single day, but I do it most days. It shows up in nearly every journal entry in my prayer journal. It shows up when I'm, uh, you could hear it when you hear me pray out loud in the car on my way driving through town or to a destination. I ask God for wisdom, wisdom for a meeting, wisdom for a conversation, wisdom for my home. I pray regularly for our boys that God would give them wisdom, that they would grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. That's what was said of Jesus. I want that for my, my own boys who are now young men. Will you desire wisdom? Will you humbly say, God, teach me, show me, lead me? The answer is yes. Again, transformation awaits you in the weeks ahead. I like how Ray Ortland, in his commentary on the book of Proverbs, writes about what God is doing in Proverbs. Here's what Ray writes. He says, through the book of Proverbs, God coaches us in the wisdom that we need throughout the long and complicated path of our everyday lives. May you see in the coming weeks that God is striving to coach you for the situations that you'll face, to provide you the wisdom that you need as you seek to honor him and serve him in the long and complicated path of our everyday lives. Now, some have said, well, why, why Proverbs? How does that point us to Jesus? Here's something really interesting as you study Proverbs is that you'll see that just as much as Lady Wisdom is personified, some of the things that are said of Lady Wisdom is that she was there before the beginning of creation. What's personified in Lady Wisdom is actually made real in Jesus Christ, who we're told was there before the foundations of the earth and all the world is created through him. But I want you to see what Paul even writes about Jesus in Colossians chapter two. He's encouraging the believers there in the city of Colossae, and here's what he says. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Paul wants them to understand in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. He wants them to understand they might know Jesus. And what does it say about Jesus? What does it say about Christ? It says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we study Proverbs, may you see that the living Christ is gonna be mentoring you and helping you as you grow to live well as well. May we look to him, may we look to his word, may we fear him, and may we in the weeks ahead come to be people who live well and experience the very best of what God has in mind for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom that Solomon has recorded. And God, I thank you that that wisdom ultimately is founded in Christ. And I just pray that over the coming weeks as we read your words and uh, we, we look to your wisdom that you will coach us in how to live well. Would you shape us to be people who do what is right and just and fair uh, what is equitable in your eyes, because we know that that's what's best for our world and our society, whether we realize it or they realize it or not. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you overwhelm us? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.